and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 12th of August with me, Ian Welsh. A few weeks ago, I spoke with Krishna Manda, Vice President for Corporate Sustainability at textile sector fibres manufacturer Lensing. We talked about the company's route map to net zero, the key things that make for credible interim targets and what real progress should look like. That's to come. First, though, is some sustainable business news. UK supermarket chains Sainsbury's, Tesco and Waitrose, along with US chocolate manufacturer Barry Calibo, are participating in a $11 million pilot scheme to protect Brazil's Cerrado grassland biome. The Green Bonds programme will provide incentives initially to 36 farmers to not clear or convert land for agriculture and to practice cultivation that is free from deforestation. Initially, farmers will receive funds for making high-level commitments and then, in turn, for delivering on them. The trial period may be extended to four years. Known as the Responsible Commodities Facility, part of the plans for the pilot phase are to monitor progress to see how such incentive schemes work best in practice and to try and generate further support. Water use and water resource allocation is increasingly a critical issue for many companies. Putting more pressure on water treatment facilities is new research from scientists at Stockholm University in Sweden that shows levels of chemicals in rainwater greatly exceeding safety levels. Perhaps most worryingly, scientists say that such is the level of the chemicals, there is no place on the planet where they can be avoided in rainwater. The substances of concern are known as PFAS chemicals, used for example in non-stick frying pans, paint, packaging and water repellent clothing. They are dubbed forever chemicals because of the length of time that they persist in the environment. A new human rights related risk for the apparel sector has emerged via a new piece of work from Greenpeace's investigative journalism division, Unearthed. The group has revealed that waste material from Cambodian factories supplying major fashion brands are being used as fuel in brick kilns, subsequently exposing workers to toxic fumes. The Unearthed team found garment scraps, labels and tags from Nike, Ralph Lauren, Reebok, Next, Diesel and others at five different kilns at brick factories and evidence that the garments were being used in the fires. The incineration of garment waste releases toxic chemicals with health impacts on workers, reportedly including respiratory conditions such as coughs and colds, no bleeds and inflammation of lungs. Alongside these human rights concerns, disposing of garment waste in this way also increases the carbon footprint of the apparel brands affected. Brands that have in many cases, of course, made big net zero commitments. Another week and another initiative to get consumers more engaged with the impact of the food they consume. This time it's in the UK, with researchers from the University of Oxford using public databases to create estimates of what's in thousands of food products on supermarket shelves. In total, the researchers have calculated the composition of 57,000 food and drink product lines at UK supermarkets, assessing growing methods, processing and transportation, and impacts on carbon emissions and other environmental metrics. Unsurprisingly, products containing meat and dairy tend to have scores indicating higher impacts compared to plant base alternatives. What's perhaps more interesting for consumers is the big difference in impacts within product categories. Speaking to the BBC, one of the Oxford scientists leading the research highlighted that the most impactful pork sausage scored a third higher than the least impactful. Another key finding is that small tweaks to recipes can make significant change to overall product impact. The Innovation Forum Autumn Event Series includes the next in our conferences on the future of plastic and packaging on the 11th to 12th of October in Amsterdam, with a focus this year on how business can build circular packaging solutions that deliver real impacts at scale. Among those already confirmed to take part in the conference sessions are business experts from Unilever, Kellogg, Mattel and Nestle. If you're quick and you want to join us, you can save €200 Euros in tickets if you register before the 12th of August. 
Our flagship Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Forum returns on the 1st and 2nd of November, also in Amsterdam. As ever, the agenda will have an emphasis on open, candid debate and discussion, and we'll hear from the likes of Golden Angry Resources, Dole Food, Tesco, Natura, Kraft, Diageo and many more. It's always a good time to register, of course, but do so in August and receive a €200 discount on conference passes. Coming up now are some highlights from a recent conversation I had with Krishna Amanda, Vice President for Corporate Sustainability at Textile Sector Fibres Manufacturer at Lensing. Well, why don't you start by giving us a very quick introduction to the work of Lensing. Lensing is a wood-based cellulose fibre producer. So if you look at industries like textiles, we are a raw material supplier to the industry. So we are a kind of tier four supplier and we make cellulose fibers out of sustainably sourced wood and also alternatives such as recycled pulp from the textile waste. We have different brands that are supporting many different global brands and retailers on textiles and also non-wovens market for making hygiene products. We are actually around 8,000 people globally with nine production facilities also globally spanned revenue of 2.2 billion in 2021. Why don't you outline Lensing's pathway to net zero then? Because that's what we're going to be talking about today. I think you can look at that from different angles, but I would like to actually share with you how we are actually approaching and what is working for us. I would put the, the focus on three elements, which will come back again and again, but that is actually helping me also in the organization. So they are actually engagement and governance and the integration. These are the three things that are actually helping us to set targets, to develop roadmaps, to get the ownership in the company and then different facilities and functions, but also to make decisions on a day-to-day -day basis by different functions so that we actually improve on the ground in terms of CO2 reductions, whether it's scope one, uh, two or three. What was the process you followed to develop your net zero pathway? Just to elaborate on the earlier thing, for example, when we were actually looking into setting a target in 2016, 2017, there was always conversations about, can we really achieve absolute reductions, right? That was the initial conversation we started with. But when we started to engage people like the management, but also different levels of leaders within the company, the top three layers, four layers you can call from the C-suite until functions, and to have conversation about, what is it that they can do? What are their concerns? And you do that same thing with your suppliers as well, so that you are preparing the ground for setting your target. Then people already know what is being expected of them in the next 5, 10, 15 years, if you want to be their supplier. So we have set that kind of very, very strong foundation that people can actually know what is going on, what is our expectations, and what kind of contributions that we see from our own functions, but also from the suppliers. So we looked into that engagement before even we have the science-based target being approved and also set by us. And once we have the science-based target being set, our C-suite actually took the ownership and one of the board members actually became the sponsor of the target. That means the governance started to shape up itself. So once you have the owner at C-suite level, and then you can see the momentum is building in the company because they have looked into one person as a project manager for climate change. And then that person is actually helping developing roadmaps with the functions and the facilities. But also we have 
a cross-functional steering committee, which will help us to kind of drive, create alignment, but also fast track decisions in the company. So we have done all these things part of the governance, and we have been looking into the performance improvements on a yearly level by having progress meetings with the different owners of different work streams. And also the one of the most important aspect is creating incentives first of all, starts with the board members. So we have also created their long-term bonus is linked to climate change target improvement. That is being also done by kind of creating a near-term target. So we have a long-term target, net zero by 2050, but also 2030, uh, 50% specific emission reduction. But what we did also was that we created a near-term target for 2024, So that near-term target has been linked to the bonus of the board of management. So if you look at all these elements of the governance process, which is actually helping the company to make progress in the right direction. The third pillar would be integration. Integration is the real art of actually executing things on the ground. When it comes to integration, we are looking into different business functions and also the facility directors, because we are a manufacturing company. So we have around scope one and two together around 50% and scope three around 50%. That means we actually need to reduce our own emissions in the operations. If you wanted to actually ask your suppliers to reduce, you need to also set a positive example, right? We need to walk the talk because people are closely watching before you ask them to reduce their emissions, how serious you are and how committed you are. So I can share with you two examples that we have made in the last two years. We have invested around $2 billion in two new facilities, which are actually uh, carbon neutral, I can call them. One is a facility of fiber production in Thailand with complete scope one and two carbon neutrality because of the sustainable biomass-based energy. And the other one is a pulp facility in Brazil, which uses also sustainable biomass not only for its own production, but also excess bioenergy is exported to the grid, the Brazilian grid, and replace can replace natural gas-based electricity. So you can call these kind of investments, and people are watching you. You are talking about climate change, but are you really integrating it in your strategy? These are the two examples I can tell, which gives a huge signal to our suppliers, but also our customers that we are serious, and we are integrating climate change into our operations and how we invest. Similarly, in the operations itself, we have several targets, like we wanted to have 100% of our renewable electricity for four of our production facilities. And actually we are transforming one facility from coal to natural gas completely in in China, which is actually going to lead around 200,000 tons of CO2 reduction. You can see there's all these things are the concrete measures we are taking on the ground with a lot of investment. That means you are putting your money where your mouth is. And also, this is one area I talked about. But if you want, I can also explain how other areas which we are doing in the integration process. Let's talk a bit about the target setting. I was interested to hear that you have a 2024 near-term target. How often do you reset them then? Will there be a rolling near-term target over the next period through to 2050? Will there always be a target, Sam, not far away? Is that a policy you'll be continuing? 
I mean, it's a really good point because, you know, many of the corporates in the world works on a three-year, five-year plans, right? Anything, if it is more than five years, it will be really difficult for people to follow through. I think it's very important that we should have three-year target. That's why we have this 2024 target. And we are also working on a 2027 target so that we have a 2030 science-based target, but we have two milestones before that. That means we are ensuring that we are making progress and we are not waiting until 2030 to make improvements. And these near-term targets will be part of those incentive system. You are creating a lot of accountability in the company and a lot of commitment by different board of management members, but also the top leaders within the company. And how do you balance stretching interim target setting and the timeframes with what's achievable? This is really tricky conversation or question because there are some targets that you need to look from the long term. However, every target you can look at a staircase. So you need to make progress on the steps to reach the top of the floor. So the same way, we are also looking into what are the targets that actually create some value right now. For example, these four facilities where there will be 100% renewable electricity created a program internally called Carbon Zero VSL Climate Care Products. These are actually the lowest footprint products available in the industry in their category. So we call them the carbon neutral, carbon zero products. And when we created this program, you have really clear focus that you wanted to provide your customers with low carbon footprint product. You have a long-term goal of SBT for 2030, but you also wanted to improve this product portfolio. So you have been creating these targets like four facilities with 100% renewable electricity and transforming one facility from coal to natural gas. You are linking these things to this product portfolio, which is the lowest carbon footprint. So I believe you need to create that kind of momentum and also competition within the company. For example, you can't qualify all our production facilities to produce these products. Right now, we are only qualified two facilities because they use this 100% renewable electricity and their uh, footprints are lower than some thresholds that we have created. And they also have roadmaps. So the, you create these kind of criteria so that they actually have a motivation and to improve themselves. And then once they improve, you actually ask them to launch a product from their facility, which might actually create some premiums from the sales uh, business management functions. You are actually creating this creative tension between the long-term target and short-term target by tying in some business cases and some new product launches and those kind of things. How far are you being driven towards these things by what your customers are requesting from you? What are the conversations that you're having with your customers that are driving this and how are they changing? This is also a very important topic to discuss because when we are setting science-based target in 2018-19 time period, just focusing on the fashion industry, but if you look at non-wovens as well, there are only few companies with the science-based targets. Like let's say in 2018, maybe there are like 30 to 40 companies. In 2019, we had 80 companies with commitments and also have approved science-based targets. But if I look at today, those companies become more than 200. If you ask me, are they enough for creating the momentum that we want? I would say no, because they are actually still representing only a few percentage of the whole global fashion or the non-wovens market. We are not yet there in terms of the customer's commitment, but I must say there is a very good momentum and they are improving and there are so many brands and retailers coming up with their own targets. 
there is a clear growth in terms of commitments and target setting but it needs to also improve further that means we don't get lot of questions yet but they are increasing that so as i told you the carbon zero product portfolio we have created that portfolio is actually growing very successful in the last 2 years i must say that that could be a kind of demand it is telling you that the market is ready to have low carbon products i must say that interest is also slowly improving everybody talks about collaboration particularly around net zero because it seems to be an area where entire value chains need to work together for everybody to achieve their goals how do you characterize the collaboration you're seeing in your sector on net zero and and where do you think that efforts should be focused to help there are a few things that i wanted to say before i go into collaboration if you don't mind i would like to talk about challenges that we as a company are facing so then i can tie into the collaboration where needed if you see manufacturer or chemical companies they have um, a lot of heating demand that means we consume around 20 to 30% of electricity where there are a lot of options for renewable electricity from solar wind hydro and all those small hydro and those but when it comes to heat you have only sustainable biomass which is very limited you can't have more right the only carriers we have are coal oil and natural gas which is also being limited in europe right now uh, because of russia and ukraine situation the most important thing is decarbonizing heat without that we cannot each reach net zero that means in this case we need to have alternative technology development alternative fuel development whether it's green hydrogen or ammonia i do not see much happening yet in the market enough is happening uh, not enough is happening for green hydrogen and ammonia development and also if you look at renewable electricity we as a world actually increasing our capacities over a period of last 15 to 20 years but still we are nowhere close to providing renewable electricity at the scale and the volumes we need globally right that means we need to actually also fast track um, renewable energy deployment in asia especially china indonesia and vietnam so there are many countries there and also in europe and americas as well you need to increase the capacity of renewables this is where i would like to see the collaboration public private uh, public private cooperation or collaboration just to give you these things i am thinking like we are not having enough of uh, collaboration yet at the scale that we need to fill the gaps from today's point of view but there are some harbingers of hope for example especially in the case of the textile or fashion industry there is a apparel impact institute they have raised around 200 million funding for roadmap to zero program so which is actually a really great example there i mean of course they have recently launched it so i hope to see more and more those kind of programs with really concrete sum of money because 200 million is just beginning to be honest i think we need oh, billions like a few hundred billions for this so i wanted to see more collaboration in alternative fuels and also more renewable energy capacity and those kind of things in the future thinking about the future then what are the key things that you think companies and organizations need to focus on to ensure that the necessary progress is made towards net zero talking about the collaboration talking about all the other things that we've discussed as i said i will come back to my three elements in the conversation but the first and foremost is not only having these long term targets whether 2030 2035 it is important to have 
a medium term or even near term targets which are part of the business strategy you need to have both sustainability strategy should be part of the business strategy with these medium term or near term targets and they should be linked to the incentives to the board of management so you have accountability there but also as i said the engagement and collaboration with the supply chain and your own functions within the company because it's not an effort by sustainability team they are only facilitators but the real work is done by procurement the real work is done by operations and also strategy in actually creating that kind of roadmaps and plans for the company and governance is also most important element for me again so it should be a tone from the top and the ownership and the c suite and clear improvement plans from the the facilities and functions periodic progress meetings if there is no follow up there will not be any improvement that should be part of the whole process and finally as i said the integration is the critical piece for me that what does it mean for operations colleague what does it mean for procurement colleagues what does it mean for r and d colleagues because they need to improve develop new process new technologies to become net zero so how well are you integrating in these functions and helping these colleagues to come up with new products or new process are even improving the energy efficiency so depending on the function you are talking to so i would say all these things actually should be part of the a credible net zero roadmap going forward apart from the collaboration we talked about from the multi stakeholder initiatives and also policy makers right when you talk about policy makers they need to create level playing field and also introduce maybe global level carbon taxes which can be triggering much more innovations and because of the lane playing field and also creating some kind of incentives for products based on this low carbon footprint because right now we have so much perverse incentives to the fossil fuel industry in some cases many cases actually so we also need to kind of tip the balance there Krishna thanks very much indeed for comprehensively taking us through how Lensing is approaching its roadmap to net zero 2050 and all the things that are happening between now and then and in particularly you know the credibility aspect which is so important so Krishna Amanda from Lensing thank you very much indeed thank you Ian and thank you Innovation Forum for this opportunity as ever the Innovation Forum website is the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews and do look out for the latest in the op-ed series from Malin Baker this week And don't forget that if you want to join either the Plastics and Packaging or the Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Conferences in Amsterdam this autumn, you can take advantage of discounts on passes if you reserve your place now. Everything you need to know about those is online. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh, and until next week, goodbye.